Hello and welcome back to the Finding Fergus podcast. Today, Gabe shares on King Jesus and how Jesus should be on the throne of our hearts. He also talks about holiness and how we are to live holy, set apart. Let's jump right in. Anna, good morning, guys. How's everybody doing? Oh, you can't do bad. You're living in Hawaii, so that's not... Let me just put this nicely here. Hallelujah. So I'm expectant. My name is Gabriel, as you guys hear, but I'm, I'm mega expectant for this week. I had something interesting happen. I had a dream last night about what I'm going to teach today um, in a way I've never had it before, right? And uh, so I, I do believe that God wants to do something in a way that um, is different than what I usually experience when I come and teach in, in DTSs. But um, before I, I start us off with, Julia, can you quickly stand? Julia is here. Can you guys say hi to Julia? <laughs> She's here with me. There's a few other of our staff that came with me this week. Um, she leads all of our media. Um, she's phenomenal. If you want to know anything about media, go talk to her. She is mega creative. When we pioneered in South Africa, none of us knew how to do media. And so we just went like, well, we need to figure out how to do media. So we just sat around a table and YouTube. And um, Julia designed like 90% of all of our social media posts. And if you, anybody knows how much work that is, um, you will deeply respect her. So any of you media, weird people, amazing workaholics, go speak to her. She will give you a ton of wisdom. And then let me do all the formalities and then we're going to jump in. Can you put on the screen? Let me just show you my beautiful family. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the tremendous privilege to be here in Kona. Father, I ask that as we going to jump into your word, as we're going to come before you, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be our divine escort, that you would take us and lead us to the revelation of Jesus and the Father. Lord, we just declare that we cannot know you without you. You need to break into this tent this week. You need to break open our hearts. God, we don't want to worship a self-constructed idea of what you're like. God, we want to know you in your fullness. God, we want everything that the human heart can have in this age. God, we want everything that we can have from you in this age. God, we ask that you would keep us away from minimalist thinking and the knowledge of you, God. Give us hunger to desire to know you deeper in Jesus name amen amen okay guys so so such a privilege to be here this is like home for me like I love this place like this is like Disneyland right except like for Christians right and so I would encourage you to not waste this time right I I start every time I speak in um, in DTS I start with that and I say this there's two groups of people in every DTS Right? There's the fun crew, and then there's a the group of people that are after Jesus. Right? And like the fun crew get what they want, and it's fun. And the crew that's after Jesus also get what they want, and that's God. Right? But here's the problem with, with, with that statement, and kind of how I'm starting with that, is that you need to understand that God knows what you want. Right? And your want is never like hidden from Him. And if you go like, hey, God, I'm actually struggling to want you, that's okay. Just tell it to him. Don't hide it, right? Because I think a lot of times we think that we can hide our hearts from God. And like the thing is, he sees everything, right? And he still loves you and he's still there and he desires you. And I'm just expectant for this group of young people to meet Jesus, right? That is the only thing that truly satisfies our hearts is him, 
Like, it is interesting that our lives, a lot of times, are the result of our love. You don't become like the thing you think, you become like the thing you love. Right? Because the thing you love is the thing you will worship ultimately. And you become like the thing you worship. And I just encourage you throughout this week and throughout your DTS is to be true and honest with God with what you love. Right? Because some of you are going to have times throughout DTS where you're going to go like, man, I actually realize there's an area in my, love where I, in my life where I love something other than God. And instead of ignoring it and trying to run from it, just take it to Him. Do you know what's the privilege about the God that we serve? He's not an insecure leader. He's not insecure in His love. Like, who's ever had a boyfriend or girlfriend that you have to hide kind of if you're having a hard time? Because if you tell them, they're going to run away. Who's ever had that? Anybody? Put your hands high up. No half elbows, full arms. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay, so there's a few of you that know what I'm talking about. Okay, so it's kind of awkward and it's hard, right? Because you tell that you're kind of going through a hard time. And you're afraid to tell them because if you tell them, it's going to frighten them and they're going to run away. Our God doesn't work like that. He's not an insecure lover, right? So whenever I feel weak in my love towards Him... The best thing that I can do in a whole universe is run towards him and tell him, I feel weak in love. I actually think I love this thing more than I love you. Help me to love you. Do you know that is proof of our revelation of God's goodness? The proof of his goodness is not that you believe in miracles. The proof of his goodness and your faith in him is that in your weakness you run to him and not to yourself. I don't know if you heard me. The proof of your revelation of how good God is is not seen in believing in the supernatural. It's not seen in believing in seeing the lost get saved evangelism. It's seen in what your heart does when you fall short of His goodness. Does your heart run to God or does it run to you fixing yourself or being like Adam and Eve and getting some fig leaves to try to sew together to cover your nakedness. I believe this week we're going to speak about holiness and the fear of the Lord. But I felt like this morning, and I'll share now the dream I had, and we'll kind of start from there. But I feel this week God is on the hunt for your heart. The human heart longs to know that somebody is looking for it, and they will not stop looking. Our hearts desire more than anything to know that there is somebody always looking for me. In psychology, we talk about attachment, right? It's, it's the ability that you're, you have as a human being to relate to others. A baby's first desire is to know that somebody looks for them. Who's looking for me, right? So I have a small little daughter. She's eight months old. Do you know what's her favorite game? If I pretend that I'm hiding and I go like, right? And she gets so excited because what? I'm looking for her. It's like, where are you, Anastasia? And she's like making because she knows like she feels the anticipation that somebody is looking for me. And I'm not alone or abandoned. And I believe there's something this week that God wants to do in this school where he wants to break open hearts to know that there is a God that all the time is looking for you. He is the good shepherd that leaves the 99 for the one. He is the one knocking at the door, Revelation 5. He's always seeking, always pursuing, always desiring to be with you. That the fear of the Lord 
has nothing to do with the fear of judgment. The fear of the Lord has everything to do with valuing God's relationship rightly. If you're going to fear judgment, you need to get saved. If you fear judgment in this room, you need to get born again. Because there is no more judgment in the eternal way if you're saved. And so my encouragement for you guys in this week is you're going to have to put on your thinking caps a little bit, right? Because our God is a little bit more complex than one-liners, okay? And, and I think that you guys are a group of people that don't just want one-liners, right? You don't tra travel all the way to this island to sit in this tent for three months to get fed with one-liners. Okay, you came to meet with God. That is it. So last night I had this dream. And um, in this dream, I saw a cover of a book that I, um, that I read a chapter of in 2013. You know, this, this chapter was about God's presence. And this book is called The Suffering of God by um, Terence Frachtman. It's like a German theologian. And I saw the cover of this book in this dream. And I felt God tell me, you need to read the introduction for this week. And I was like, that is interesting. I woke up from the dream. I was like, I've never had that happen before. And so I want to read you guys this introduction. Because I feel like there's something the Lord wants to do. And then I'm going to jump in. Listen to this first sentence. It is not enough to, to say that one believes in God. What is important is what kind of God you believe in. It's not enough to say that you believe in God. It is about what kind of God you believe in. And when I read that first sentence, I was like, good Lord, I think God is up to something this week. Because I feel like in this group, God is going to kind of hammer on that thing. What kind of God do you believe in? What is he like? The God that you serve. When you close your eyes, who do you see? What do you see? What is his facial expression towards you? How does his voice sound? Is he irritated? Is he frustrated? Does he look at you with contempt? Is he telling you to hurry up and be quicker because you're going to miss him? What is the image of God that you have constructed in your subconscious? And is it in accordance to what the God of the Bible is like? He goes on and says, or to use different language, metaphors matter. The images used to speak of God not only describes the way we think about him, but they have powerful impact and shape to, power, to, to form the shape of our lives. They may in fact tend to shape our life towards unbelief. And a lot of times when I speak to young leaders and I speak to young people about their belief of God and what they think he's like, and I hear how they explain God to me, I was like, man, I will also not believe in that guy. Whoever you're talking about right now sounds very egotistic and very mean the whole time. That doesn't sound like the God of the Bible I know. And I feel this week there's something of assault there's something of a war God wants to rage against wrong thought about who he is. Right? There's something about, I feel like in this room, as I prayed, that there is a heart's desire to please God, right? And to meet every criteria of what does it mean to be radical and actually not know that God could care less if you're radical. 
He actually just matters about do you love him or not. And you cannot fake love because only you know if you do it or not. And the, whoever is staring back at you in the mirror, when you look into that gaze, you'll know if it's true. doesn't matter if you stand on your chair. Your chair does not produce zeal. Your love does. You know what sustains that love? He does. But if, if you believe, believe wrongly about what he is like, you'll try to carry something that's too heavy. That's why Jesus says, come and take my yoke upon you, my burden is light. Come and learn from me. The knowledge of him carries the weight of that love. It goes on and says, in his autobiography, American journalist and atheist, Thomas Matthew, who was a preacher's kid, wrote this. Try as I may, and listen to this, this is an atheist writing this. Try as, try as I may, I cannot altogether shake off the habitual awe of the church, nor completely disassociate it from the far more fearful God to whom the church makes its ritual obedience. I still think of God, no, not think, but apprehend, as I was trained as a child to envision him as a watchful, vengeful, enormous, omniscient policeman. Instantly aware of the slightest tinge of irreverence in my innermost thought. Always ready to pounce if I curse, if I mention him in anger, fun or mere habit. But how can that kind of fear of that kind of God be the beginning of wisdom? All too often, the sole focus of the ministry of the church has been on whether one believes in God, insufficient attention has been given to the kind of God and who one believes, often with disastrous effect. The question of the kind of God in whom we believe is not only important, it is crucial. It is a question of images. Our metaphors matter. And I feel like that is a challenge God wants to lay before your feet before we even start this week. What is the image that you see when you close your eyes? What is it, who is the God that you see when you go into worship at the Ohana court? Right? What, what does it look like when you behold him? When you in your quiet time and you're coming to Jesus and you're wanting to spend time with him, what, what emotion bubbles up in your heart? Can, can we be, make a deal with each other? Can we be brutally honest this week? Okay, like, no, I'm not going to, no handbrake. I'm going to shoot straight. I heard you guys like it. Okay. And then, but I'm going to need participation and I'm going to need honesty. Can we make an agreement on that? Okay. So let me ask a question. Who here sometimes feels anxiety when they're about to have quiet time? Can you raise your hand? High hands, high hands, high hands, high hands, high hands. Okay. That's two thirds of the rooms. Okay. I had that as well. Don't worry. Don't feel guilty. Right? Who here already feels guilty sometimes before you have quiet time that you're going to do it wrong? Who's ever had that? Okay. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that before I even approach this person called Jesus through the Spirit, something in me is like, I'm wrong. I I'm a mistake. I, I didn't do it right. It's so interesting that there's something in us 
and we don't know where it comes from that fuels a measure of shame before I even speak to God. Who's ever wondered about that? Has any of you ever thought about why do I feel that way? I've thought about that a ton. Right? And the reality is that until we do not see God for who He truly is and what the cross really means, there will always be some vengeful thought at the back of our minds that's afraid to approach this one that is other than me. Right? Do you, who remembers the first time you had a real quiet time and you realized you're approaching God? You can feel the presence, right? It's this other thanness that I realize I have access to now. Right? I remember it. I just got saved. I'll tell you guys some of my story now. And um, I'm, I'm about to have quiet time. And I'm sitting in my room. And I'm opening Romans. I read Romans 4 in an old amplified Bible, hardcover, that my, I found somewhere in my mother's drawer or something. And I opened up this Bible and I, and I closed my eyes and I felt a presence enter the room. And it freaked me out. I'm like, good Lord, I'm not alone. I, this is not religious belief now. <laughs> this is not a good idea in church. I came and sat down and he came as well. Oh goodness. What the heck am I going to do now? And, and the reality is like, once that happens... It frightens you because the king of glory, for some reason, allocated time to meet with Gabriel. For some reason, the one who is the perfect, spotless son of man through the Holy Spirit is visiting Gabriel in my weakness while I'm trying to read Romans. I had a bad night last night. I overslept my alarm. There's nothing perfect about me. I haven't brushed teeth. I have morning breath. And I'm about to get visited by the most important being in the universe. That is a frightening thought. And what you think about what he is like matters more than you can dream. A.W. Tozer says, no civilization has ever outgrown the idea of God. The most important thing is not if you believe, it's what you believe. Right? It's more important what you get saved into than what you get saved, saved out of. What you believe about what God is like will direct the rest of your life. There's one of my friends is here. Her name is Kimberly. She's amazing. Um, I remember we had a conversation a few weeks ago, maybe now a few months ago, about how prophetic she is. She's exceptionally prophetic she probably will prophesy over a few of you this week but um she didn't really know how prophetic she was she knew it but she didn't want to know it right and um somebody once tweaked one little thing about her gift and for years it made her believe god is kind of angry and there's something wrong with her and i, and I remember our conversation i was like that is not what it is it's this it's this is clearly what it is and it was like scales fell off her eyes it's like I could see Kimberly will never see herself and God the same way. And it was a millimeter tweak. It's just this. It is crazy what happens to us if we believe wrong things about God. It's crazy what happens to your inner being when you're always afraid he's going to leave. Can I quickly see who sometimes have this inherent fear that God will leave you? Can I see anybody? Raise your hands high. 
Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Right? So I come from a drug background, got born again. One of the most joyful things of my entire life that I figured out through the word is that God will never leave me. That that never-ending pit, that abyss of darkness that scratches the inside of your soul will never come back. Never. That thing that eats everything will never come back because Jesus took residence on the inside. And he will never leave me. In my shame, in my brokenness, I can mess up and he sits right there. It's like, Gabe, I'm, I'm never leaving you. Do you know how much that changed my life? Because you know what happens if you're afraid God's going to leave? What do you do? Tell me what you do. Sorry? You strive? Okay, define striving. Right, so she says, I know I can't do more. I know I don't deserve it, but I try to do more so I can deserve more of God. What else? If you're afraid of God leaving, what else do you do? Performance? Define the performance. Pleasing God, define that thought. Come, you guys are giving one-liners. I don't want one-liners. I want brains. Putting on an act to please God. Okay, that's good. So her hand was up first and I'm with you. Sometimes you run away first because you're afraid of getting hurt. Who can relate to that? Right? Who here has been afraid to give everything because what happens if you're disappointed? Can I see hands? Who's ever had that? Oh my goodness. Now we're starting to speak the truth here. I told you, if we're going to talk the truth, this is going to work well. If I don't speak the truth, this is going to be a hard week. Okay? You see like what she hit there? She hit a vein that I'm afraid to be fully in because what happens if I'm fully in and he leaves? What am I left with? <laughs> you see where we're going? Matters what we believe God is like. Same thing. Okay. There's something else that happens if we're afraid God's going to leave. And it is when we're afraid God is not going to be always there. Is whenever Gabriel in himself finds something that I don't see in alignment with God, I hide it. So let's say I see pride in my own life. If I'm afraid God leaves, I'll just hide my pride from God. You know where healing happens? In openness. I can only get healing if I go like, hey Jesus, there's something inherently ugly in me and I really like it. I know I shouldn't like it. And I, and, and I hope you won't run away. Because everybody else in my life ran away when they saw my ugly. Would you stay here for me if you see this? You see, DTS, the goal of DTS is to teach you what God is like, not how you should live. DTS is to teach you in a formational live-learn environment what is God like, and then there's freedom for you to respond rightly. But imagine there's a fear that God leaves and all of a sudden you see the total arrogance and entitlement you've had your whole life. 
You're going like, man, my parents told me this my whole life. And they were jerks when they did it. If I'm going to admit this to God, how's he going to respond? So I just ignore it because if I admit it, will he leave? Now, theologically, most of you know he won't, right? But you don't believe it. Otherwise, your hand would have been up. <laughs> right? And this is the goal of knowing God. The goal of getting to know God is getting to know what He is truly like. So you don't just live off presumptions of your previous hurt and your environmental pain, but you can actually say that I know a person who's revealed himself to me, and I know he's not like A, B, C, D. It is important, guys, in this coming week, in this next few weeks, that you don't get easily satisfied. Don't get lulled into satisfaction when you're hungry for more. Right? Don't have somebody like tell you a worship time will change your life. A life of worship changes your life. Right? That worship time is great and I've been touched one time and I've never been the same. But then I need touched, touched times to stay the same as that one touch brought me. There's something of a desperation that you need to have. That says, I refuse to be easily satisfied. I refuse to have 14 one-liners, have my mind tickled, but in my heart I go like, I have no freaking clue what you're meaning. I don't know what you're saying to me right now. I, I, I get what you're doing. I've heard my pastor say the same thing. And I want to say yay, because I know it's the right response to get the room to agree with me. But I have no idea what you're trying to tell me. We need a, the generation of young people who has a holy desperation to meet with God and not to meet with a subcultural preference of what God is like. And I believe that's who's in the room. I believe that's why really, really funny people don't work for you. I've heard that from a few of you leaders. Like, jokes don't really work on them. They like it if you shoot straight. I was like, oh, yes. But there's something about your generation that's like that. I spoke at a high school about six months ago, um, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> they gave feedback on my speaking. It's not a Christian high school, it's a secular high school. And um, what, what the kids, and I, I'm mentioning this because of what Hannah told me. Um, the, one of the three main things that the kids said is we're so thankful Gabe didn't come to tell jokes. Most Christian speakers tell jokes. They try to win our affection please, instead of bringing us the truth. We want the truth more than we want humor. I think that's who's in the room, right? Are you going to do YouTube for humor? And I believe that's what God wants to break into your life. So you guys ready? You strap in. Right, and we're going to go. Okay, so again, you heard my name is Gabriel. I'm from South Africa. I'm ESL, so if I say something funny, just be nice to me, please. Um, English is my second language. And um, I have the amazing privilege to be married to the most beautiful woman in the universe called Michelle. And I have the cutest daughter in the universe called Anastasia. She's eight months old and she's amazing. I'm not lying. She really is amazing. <clears throat> and um, I help lead um, our fine fragrance plant in South Africa. And it's been a phenomenal time. We've been there three years on, well, we, this last week, three years ago, we were commissioned from here. And um, we've seen close to 15,000 people get saved in three years. I think, like, we, guys, we, we, have, we have experienced a move of God that we couldn't have imagined. Um, the other day, we did, like, a living room tour. We did 103 living rooms in five days. 
and we gathered like 5,000 people, so more than 400 people get saved, and everybody in our base went. It doesn't matter if you have four kids, whatever you do, nobody had a privilege not to go on some type of tour because we're missionaries. We're not stationaries, we're missionaries, okay? And so there's something in our hearts that always needs to build towards going, even if it's just going to your neighbor, right? Because everybody's in different seasons of life, I understand that, but I am so lucky and so privileged. I think we grew... In three years, from 27 staff to 110, right, which is stupid, and it doesn't make sense at all, and we're just in the most fun season, but I didn't start like that, and I didn't start like I am right now, okay, so I'm going to tell you guys a little bit of my story, when's break? 11, okay, I'm going to tell you my story in 20 minutes, and then um, we're going we're gonna to go somewhere else after that, but grew up in a radical Christian family. And I mean radical, I mean like I've never questioned if I can hear God's voice. Right? I was nine years old, and my grandfather would ask me, hey, have you heard him call your name? I was like, what? Call my name? Who called my name? He's like, no, 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 you'll know. There'll come a day when God will come to you, and he'll call you by your name. You'll know. I was like, whatever, it's weird. But I would wake up at, 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 in the mornings, and I would have a dream or something. My parents would ask me, what do you think God is speaking to you? Do you think he's speaking to you? Like, I just grew up in a very privileged way when it comes to the knowledge of God. I would wake up early in the mornings, and 4.30, 4 o'clock, my dad would have quiet time. I would see him have quiet time. I never, he's not a ministry. My parents are marriage counselors, but he's not, a, he's not a ministry. He was in the military. And um, I grew up in a way where being Christian is awesome. Right? A lot of times people grow up and their parents are Christian and it's horrible. I didn't grow up like that. Like my parents are Christians. So I was like, I wish I could be like you. You're freaking amazing. Like my 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 family has a pretty cool heritage. Like my grandfather's the reason that the first ever non-white people went to university in South Africa because he had a visitation from Jesus and God told him South Africa is gonna change. And he needs he gave him this whole download of a plan on how to get the first black people in South Africa's history to a white university right and it, it's crazy stories like he just has these wild stories he was in his late 30s and he stood up in this underground ANC which is like the people who fought against apartheid government meeting and he pointed at this 19 year old and he said stood up and he started prophesying over him that he will be the next South African president and it turns out to be our current president Cyril Ramaphosa right this is like 40 years ago right so <clears throat> I grew up in a house that made Christianity awesome so, long story short, I'm 11 years old. I'm going with my dad to this um, Christian show. And it's the Christian artist American called Don Francisco. Does anybody know who Don Francisco is? Some of... The, oh, oh, there's a few of you. Wow, the previous school nobody knew. Well done. Points for you. Right? So, he's like this Christian, like, country singer, whatever. And for some reason, I have a powerful encounter with the Lord. I'm 11 years old. I pretty much think I got saved there. And um, I, I am in the way with my dad in the car on our way home, and I am weeping. Like, I cannot stop crying. My dad pulls over the car. Now, you know, it's not normal if an 11-year-old boy just cries hysterically after a Christian show. And my dad's like, what is happening? Are you okay? Like, what's going on? And I told my dad, if this is what heaven feels like, I just want to die right now. Like, if this is what it feels like to be with God, why would I keep living? Like, why, why would I keep wanting to be here if this is what it is to be with him? 
And I knew that day something in me changed, right? And I can't explain it, but God met with this young kid. So at age 12, I'm playing cricket. It's kind of like baseball, just better, right? We actually have a World Cup. Um, the rest of the world plays in it as well, right? Um, <laughs> he'll catch it later. Um, and I'm, I'm hitting a, like a home run or a six, right? And I had like three in a row, and, I, and two of them I broke the bat. And my grandfather is watching as I play this game, and he has an open vision. And he has this visitation, and God tells him, I'm Gabriel's called for the work of ministry. Gives him this whole word, and he says, I'm going to bless him exceedingly in sport to teach him how he's going to live for me. But you will be the sign one day when he comes to me that he's called, right? And then the Lord told my grandfather, you cannot tell him until he comes to you, right? So I'm named after my grandfather. He was also Gabriel. So long story short, um, age 14, I'm like Nationals Athletics in South Africa, age 15, I play AFL. Is there any Aussies in the room? Yes. So I played AFL for South Africa and um, age 16, played like national team rugby, 17 national team rugby. I just started doing really, really well in sports. And um, I realized when at 16, when I made like this national team, I played a position that you had to be pretty big. Now, believe it or not, I didn't always used to be my size. I used to be way bigger. But But they told me, hey, you need to gain like weight for the position you play. And I'm like, great. So I gained 43 pounds in two and a half years. <clears throat> Here's how I did it. I ate 10,000 calories a day, right, without cheating once. So you say you don't cheat, which means you eat less. I didn't cheat because I didn't stop eating. Right? I would pack like a little lunchbox. No, it wasn't a little one. It was like this size, right? And I would... I would put a timer on my watch for the times of the day it go off and I have to go eat. Because I said, I will get this weight, I will gain it, and I will not use steroids. And I will do it the right way because I'm a Christian. So long story short is I gained this weight. By age 19, I'm like 245 pounds. I have like 6% body fat. I can bench press 410 pounds. Like, I'm like big, I'm fast. I, I think my max back squat was like 730, right? And, and I'm an athlete, right? So, so my job, my job is to be big and strong, okay? That's, that's what I do. And, and so, again, remember, I trained six hours a day for 12 years, okay? So you can't, you don't get that overnight, okay? So long story short, at age 19, um, I get paid more than both my parents combined. I get way too much money, right? Because I'm a pro athlete in South Africa. It works different. You can be in college and get paid full salary. And um, I just get super arrogant. And something of my identity starts belonging to being the big jacked rugby player, right? And um, I remember for some reason, what I knew about God started getting a little bit twisted, right? So backtrack a little bit. I met a girl at age 15, okay? And I'm in this grocery store called Pick and Pay in West Acres Mall at age 15 in the toilet paper aisle. And I'm walking down the toilet paper aisle and this little voice 
says, do not date her. Who's ever heard that little voice? Can I just see your raise of hands? Anybody here? Okay, who has ever ignored that voice? Okay, more hands go up. Okay, right? Who has ever been really, really angry that you ignore that voice? Right? I'm 15 years old and the Lord speaks to me and says, Gabe, do not date this girl. Well, I followed my own ways. Stupid. Okay? Date this girl for six years. Right? And um, I kind of don't do anything halfway. Right? I kind of, anything in my life I do, I, I go for it. Right? And, um, and long story short, I grew up in a phenomenal family. She grew up in a really, really broken family. And um, kind of introduced me to a messed up, sexually broken life in that way. And now, on the one side, I actually know God. I actually know the Bible. And on the other side, I am so ashamed that I'm choosing the wrong thing and I like it. Who's ever, is there anybody ever been there? Okay, great. So, for the next few years, till age 20, me and her are dating. And um, she calls me one night and she goes like, hey, I cheated on you. I'm sorry. Right now, I cheated on her a ton of times as well. Right, so but it was okay because I never liked them. Right, that was my logic. Right, she liked the guy, which was a taboo. Right, which is stupid. That's how sin makes you think. Right, and long story short, I say, hey, great, um, and I break up with her, and I say to her this, hey, I forgive you. Please never call me again. Put the phone down. Now I was so Chris I was Christian enough to know that unforgiveness will kill me. So I'm sitting in this bar called the dragon when she called me and I'm going to like this. This is literally my prayer. Lord, I just give this girl to you. I will not hold any bitterness in my life. Right. And I go to the bar and get a six pack of drafts and six tequilas and I get stupid drunk. <laughs> right now I'm, 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 I'm sharing this on purpose because you can know all the right things and even get the right results and you do not love God. Just because you've encountered Jesus doesn't mean you know him. You know like the Pharisees encountered him all the time. Demons always encounter him. Doesn't mean you know God. Right? So fast forward, my life goes on. My life is in a mess. I get a big injury at age 22. Kind of like ends my rugby career. And um, I get introduced to drugs by one of my friends. I get pretty addicted to cocaine. And um, I am messed up. Okay? And a part of what's messing me up is because I know the truth. I've met God. You cannot unmeet God. Whoever met God when you're really young, you really met him and then you walked away from him. Can I just see a raise of hands? Man, the torment is horrible, isn't it? Because you can't unknow how good he is. Right? That touch when I was 11, I couldn't unknow it. Right? Doesn't matter how many girls, doesn't matter how much drugs, doesn't matter how many times I get drunk. That loving embrace when I was 11, I cannot unknow it. It marks your soul. And so my life goes on. And, here's, here's, and I'm, I'm telling these stories purposefully because I'm trying to show you something. I'm about a month before I get born again, born again, again, again. Right? <clears throat> I'm with one of my friends. And um, we, we had a kind of weird relationship, this, this girlfriend that I had. She wasn't my girlfriend. She's a friend that was a girl. And we studied at her house. And I'm literally in the bathroom snorting a line of cocaine. I go out of the bathroom into her living room. And she sits in her living room crying. And I'm like, man, let's say her name is Jane. That's not her name. 
hey, Jane, what's going on? Are you okay? And she's like, well, I'm addicted to this thing. I can't stop doing it. I'm just so frustrated. I literally sit with her. I say, well, let me help you out, right? I'm high on cocaine. I walk her through Sozo. I lead her to Jesus. She gets saved, right? And she is saved before I am. Just because you've moved in power doesn't mean you know God. God used the donkey. He will use anything he can to get to your heart. I knew the principles because my parents taught them to me. I knew how to access God, but I didn't know how to get God to access to me. And I want to say this in this DTS that you have. Some of you will walk out here and you'll move in power and you think it means that God is condoling the brokenness in your life. When you're not realizing that He is just Himself around you, which means power flows if you believe it. God doesn't withhold power if you're broken. Otherwise, nobody would ever have it. It's so important that we realize that us being fruitful doesn't mean you're faithful. It means God is always Himself. Which means He is always the one that shows His goodness through our brokenness. And my desire for all of you is that you will not be so enamored with the new toys we get when we move in the Spirit that you forget that the actual victory of Gabriel is that my love turns to Him. Because I actually like Him more than His toys. I like Him more than the things He can do through me. I like Him more than the than the tricks that happens when I tap into power. And I'm going to tell you guys stupid stories. I'm not against power. I like, I love all this stuff. Last week was Holy Ghost week, right? Wasn't it fun? Come on, right? That's just the beginning, guys. It's the beginning of the beginning. You've seen nothing yet. Okay? My, uh, I'm going to tell a story. Remind me somewhere that I tell a story about my first DTS here. Right? And then Johan Moody came in speaking in the school. It was wild. So, in all this... About a, month, uh, about a month or two later, um, long story short, it's my then girlfriend, now wife's 21st birthday. I overdose on cocaine, and I'm laying in my bed. I'm like shaking, and this thought comes to me, I'm going to die. Okay? Now, some people get saved because of Abba Papa, and like, they're just like crying because God is good, and they love him. That's not how I got saved. Okay? I got saved because I know I'm going to die. Right? And I laid in my bed. And I'm an only child, so I had a conversation with myself. And I went like, self, you're going to die as a drug addict, or you're going to tell your parents. And I go like, well, if I tell my parents, my life is going to be over. If I don't tell them, I'm going to die as a drug addict. Right? And I'm very competitive. Right? Very competitive. When I was 12 years old, my bed is like this. There's a wall in front of my bed. I wrote in glow-in-the-dark paint, winning is everything. So everything before, every night before I go to bed, it will be the last thing I see. <laughs> Makes sense, doesn't it? Right? Literally, I, I made it that when I, and I, and I highlighted it every year so I can see it. Second place is the first loser, right? So, <laughs> so I'm pretty driven and um, I'm laying in bed and having this conversation with myself about how I'm about to destroy myself. And God takes me back to when I was 12 years old. And he shows me a conversation I had with my mother. And we stood at the edge of the ocean in South Africa. And she said, ask me this question. How far can you see? And I told her, I can't see the end of it. He said to me, that's how much me and your father loves you. 
no matter whatever happens, just come home first, please. Just call us. Just please come home. So I'm laying in bed. I'm like shaking because I'm busy dying. And I, and I have this conversation and God reminds me of that thought. And I go like, well, I'm going to go home. I'm not going to die as a drug addict. So I literally went into the kitchen, smoked a joint, drank coffee, jumped into the car, drove to my parents' house, broke into their home. And in South Africa, you lock your house, right? You don't leave houses open where I'm from. And um, <clears throat> my parents have a long corridor to, their, to the main bedroom in their house. And I'm like walking on this corridor. I'm like, all these flashbacks are coming. I'm like, I'm, my life is about to end. Now my mother is about this tall. And she has spiky red hair. Okay, you all know who I'm talking about. Everybody knows that auntie, right? Who is this short and she has spiky short red hair, right? She's like, her job, she's the boss of principles, right? So she punishes the punishers, right? So she's the person that punishes the person that you were the most afraid of in school, right? And so I always joke with people. I say, my mother is colorblind. She can only see black and white. There's no gray in her life, right? Like there's no half right in my mother's existence, right? And I, I get a little bit of it from her. My mother is the most intense person in the universe. Like she's way more intense than I am. And so I'm, I'm, I'm walking to there and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to be horrible. I'm going to get the worst spanking of my life. And, and if you're a professional athlete, you kind of get used to criticism, right? There's like newspaper articles that get written over you, like how good or bad you are. You kind of get thick skinned. And so I'm like armoring up, stacking on the thick skin. I'm on my way to get like a verbal lashing from my mother. And I walk up to her, and I, for some reason, me and my dad are super close. I didn't wake my dad, I woke my mom. And I wake my, wake my mother up, and I tell her, hey, mom, like, I have a problem. I can't stop doing drugs. And in a millisecond, my mother launches out of bed, and she hugs me. And she says, I love you. Don't worry, you're going to make it. And she just holds me. She, like, squeezes me. She's like, you're going to make it. Don't worry. I love you. You're going to make it. And this big, jacked, very high, very hard rugby player just breaks. I just start weeping, right? Because my whole life taught me how to make myself hard and how to protect myself from criticism. It didn't teach me how to protect myself from unconditional love. And my mother's love was like a lightsaber to just cut through everything. And I just wept. My dad is a big guy. He's my size, ginormous hands. He was in the military for 20 years. He's a teddy bear. He gets out of bed. He comes to me and he asks me this question. He says, do you, want to, do, you, um, do you want to get free? And I said to him, yes. He said to me, well, you need Jesus. Right? And my dad puts his paw, this ginormous hand of his, on my chest. And he pays, prays the most Papa Bear prayer in the universe. And my mom and my dad pretty much leads me to the Lord. And I remember... Like something happened. But what happened in that moment was interesting, right? Because it was the first time in my life there was not a but. There, were not, there was not an if. There was not a comma. Before that moment, I have responded to 470,000 altar calls. Right? Because I just didn't want to go to hell. Right? Who doesn't want to go to hell? Right? I was like, I just don't want to go to hell. Okay? So give me a get out of jail free card. But... I will love my sin as much as I love God, right? And I, I remember, I remember this one altar call. I think I was just before I got saved. I had this one altar call. I walked to the front 
And I'm standing there, and I'm like, yes, Jesus, please save me. Okay, after this time, I'm going to walk out of church, and I'm going to smoke one more joint, and I'm finished. Now, I know none of you were that much of a hypocrite. It was just me. But that's the conversations I had in my head. That's the honest conversation I had. In this section here, I knew I loved God, and there's nothing I wanted more. And in this area here, I loved my sin in a way that I didn't know if God could love me. And in that moment when my parents came, it was the first time in my entire life where I said, God, I don't want any comma, I don't want any but, I don't want any if, whatever you want, you can have it. Do you want my sport? You can have it. Do you want my, the girls? You can have it. Do you want my money? You can have it. I have destroyed every good gift that you have given me. I am the destroyer of good things. I need you to step into my life. And I remember something immediately happened. I can't explain it to you, right? I remember I went to the bathroom. I threw up blood for like 20 minutes. I didn't have to withdraw once after that. Two weeks later, I shared my testimony at a high school for the first time. 40 kids got saved. Saw my first deliverance, saw my first healing, right? And my life was changed. And I remember something in me happened because what happened in me was I stopped being the one that makes the rules. I stopped being the one that lays down the rules and go like, God, if you tick these boxes, I'll do X. I remember doing high jump. I was like second in South Africa in high jump, right? And, and before I would go and, 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 and compete, I would have this conversation with God. I was still dating the other girl. I'd go like, God, if you help me win, I will stop messing up for so long. Now, I know nobody else has ever done that. I know I'm the only person who ever tried to bother with God about my brokenness. But for some reason, I pictured God to be this genie and this angry old man at the same time. So I give you good action for two months. You give me a W. How does that sound? And then I didn't give him a time to respond. Yes, okay, that's good. Let's go. Right? And, and, and somehow I thought that my soul will be satisfied with a God that looks like me. And that night, when I got born again, I gave up my privilege to design a God that's made in my image. Because I was like that. And I believe that this generation of young people are tired of Christianese. You're tired of like, hey, I always lived perfect. Nothing was ever wrong. And then, hallelujah, I figured out he loves me. And so I just lived a little bit better. That was not my story. I was the epitome of hypocrisy. I was literally your perfect image of the kid who could go to Bible camp while high and beat everybody in the Bible quiz. I literally went to one Bible camp with the seminary kids. I was the only one who was, was not in seminary because I knew the Bible so well. I read Bible every single day of my life. I would go out and party, come back home, put my finger in my throat to get the alcohol out because I have to work out at 5 a.m., drink multivitamins, have a protein shake, go sit in my chair. I always call it the king's chair, blasphemy. Anyway, and I would sit in the king's chair and I would take up my Bible and I would read Bible and journal and go to bed. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because you do the same thing. If you look in the mirror and go like, I'm ugly, you're just as much of a hypocrite. Because who gave you the right to determine what God thinks of you? Right? 
if, if you wake up in the morning and you go to your quiet time, you feel guilty, you do the same thing. Because you're not good enough anyway. The cross made you good enough. And we, 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 we categorize sin and we excuse ourselves of our guilt instead of acknowledging that Jesus is the only way that I can be made perfect. That what He paid on that cross, when He paid the ultimate price, is the only thing that can set me free. And when He said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved, it wasn't a good idea. It wasn't a theological concept. It was access to an ultimate reality so you can be set free from your own brokenness. Guys, I have spoken about this in hundreds of places all over the world. I've seen grandfathers get born again at marriages. I've done weddings, and the first person in response to an altar call was a 72-year-old grandfather. Going like, my whole life, I've tried to perform and run on this treadmill, try to not be a hypocrite, and I've never acknowledged that He is God and I'm not. I need to get saved. Help me. I've been in church for 50 years. I've never surrendered to His Lordship. And there's something in our hearts, in our humanity, that needs to yield to Him being King and you're not. And we need to stop beating around the bush. Like your small little, oh, this little series that is a little bit of nudity, but I'm okay. What? What? Doesn't make sense. Right? And we say, oh, but it's grace. The blood covers it. And we misunderstand the depth of freedom that God died for us. We misunderstand that there's something that Jesus died for that is more than sin management. Who's tired of sin management? Who's tired of just trying to hold out the weekend? Right? Just, I just well, don't want to fall. Just don't let me be alone. Who's tired of the fear of being alone? Right? That's not normal. You're not made to be afraid to be alone because what will overtake you if there's not people to keep you in check? Your salvation was bought so that the Spirit of God could take residence on the inside. And he can move you to do the right thing so you don't have to be afraid to be alone. That alone is never alone again. Alone is being with God. And we have settled for a lesser gospel. Because we cannot be honest. It didn't come from cannot believe right. It came from not being honest. And today before we go to our bathroom break, I want to ask you this question. Okay? Some of you are going to get saved today, okay? And I'm pretty serious when I say that. I'm not asking you to rededicate your life. You can do that in your small group. <laughs> Some of you have never made Jesus Lord. Some of you have prayed the prayer 14 times. Some of you have even prayed for people and they got healed. Some of you have prophesied and you're not born again. Do you know why? Because Matthew 7 says, Lord, have we not done all these things? says, get away from me, I never knew you. Get away from me, I never knew you. There's something about the gifts and calls of God that's irrevocable, that people can teach you the right things, and you can access the things of God and never access God. And I feel this morning an urgency in my heart for some of you to turn away from your hypocrisy. And I'm saying it, I'm making it hard. I'm not going to make this easy, okay? Is it Okay.
I'm just going to say it like it is. Some of you have mastered the ability to master the Christian charismatic subculture. And you look like the perfect picture of a good Christian, but you know on the inside you're dying because you have made yourself God and Jesus is not on the throne of your life. And you're tired of running on this treadmill of performance. And you know there's never been a moment when Jesus has been king. You know there's never been a moment when you have not had an if, a comma, a but, where you've always gone like, oh, but I'm actually good because I'm not like them. Where you've made your, your, your grade or how good you do at things, the thing that gives you confidence. And your confidence is not found in the blood of Jesus. And I believe I'm here today because God wants to save you from yourself. He wants to save you from the brokenness and the wickedness of the self engulfing all of who you are. Because you know what happens? If you master a culture and God does not master you, you will reach the epitome of that thing, get to the top and be unsatisfied. The human soul is an abyss that can only be filled by that which is godly. My inner being eats everything I push in there. The amount of drugs, success, girls, the amount of ministry success gets eaten up by your soul because the only thing that's meant to fully satisfy is Jesus. Everything else disappears in there. All of your success, all of the salvations, all of the ministry, it disappears in this hole because God is the only thing meant to fill you. And He only comes if He's King. He doesn't come if He's Savior. He's Savior of the world, but He only saves that for who He is King. So I want to make an easy altar call. If you need to get saved today and you're tired of playing Christianese, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Nobody's going to close their eyes. Nobody's going to bow their heads. You're going to do this in front of people and make a statement, I'm tired of small living. I'm tired of eating at the table of compromise when I know there's more. I'm going to pray. When I say amen, I'm going to give you 10 seconds. If we get to zero, we go to break. Okay. Why do I do it that way? I do it that way for the following reason. <clears throat> you do not determine when your time is up. Something else does. You know like Noah never closed the door of the ark? God did. Man does not determine when your time to choose is over. God does. And some of you need to feel the anticipation that time is running out. I don't want you to hear the rest of this week and go like, I didn't have a moment to choose Jesus. You cannot unknow what you know. So I just want to pray. When I say amen, I'm going to give you 10 seconds. Lord, I thank you for who you are. <clears throat> I thank you for your kindness. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you'll move in this tent today. Lord, I pray for the spirit of conviction to move. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that every young person in this room who's tired of trying, who's tired of performing, that you'll speak to their hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'll convict them of sin and righteousness and the judgment is to come. Lord, lift off the veil. Lift off the veil, rip it off. Break off, break off the self-righteous pride and reveal your kindness and your meekness to them that today is the day of salvation. In Jesus' name.
Amen. If you need to make this choice, can I ask you to stand up, please? Ten. Nine. Come on, don't clap. Don't clap. Eight. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Okay, can I ask you guys to come to the front, please? I just want you to line up in the front. I just, I don't want us to clap. I feel this is a sober moment. I feel the Lord really wants to do something this morning before we go to break. <clears throat> I want to pray for all of you. And line up as much as you can. If you can, you can just stand in the lines. That I want to pray. And I want to say this. I want to say this this morning. The Bible says in Romans 10 that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I promise you today that if you made the choice... God, I just give you everything. I'm tired. I'm tired. He will meet you today. I promise you, He will meet you. I want you all to close your eyes and open your hands in front of you. I know you're standing on each other. But I want you to think about those things you're giving to Him that you're tired of. Just, just, just name it to them. Just say, Jesus, I just give you this. Just be brutally honest. Right? If it's, if it's struggle with habitual sin... Right? If it's self-image issues, if it's just you've never made the choice that Jesus is Lord, just give it to Him right now. I can't do this for you. You need to do this. Lord, I just give it to you. Just take it, please. Just take it, please. Father, I ask in Jesus' name as they just stand before you, Lord, I thank you that you hear their prayers. Lord, you will transfer them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, you break free right now in Jesus' name, any addiction, any self-harm. God, I pray in Jesus' name that voices that speak to them, Lord, that say things whenever they see themselves, God, you break those things off right now. God, I thank you in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I pray you fill them. Lord, from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet, that they will feel your nearness. God, that their abyss of self-righteous trials. God, that they will feel your nearness. God, I thank you that everything can change today. Lord, I thank you that the word says we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your marvelous light. And I pray in Jesus' name that your light will shine into the darkness and it will not be overcome. I declare, Lord, that in them you're creating beauty and order. You are speaking into their hearts. And the dark places that nobody has seen, you've seen. And you call them lovely still. You call them beautiful still. You call them yours. And I will silence every voice. I will tell them this is just another altar call. We rebuke that in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, that there's no if, there's no comma, there's no but, that today everything can change. Amen. Amen. Guys, I want to say this. Be brutally honest with God. Tell Him where you're at. Tell him where you're at. Tell him what's happening, what you're feeling, what you're seeing, what you're sensing. He is not afraid of you. 
I don't care how many times you've come forward. Everything changes today. I want to encourage you. If there is something in your room you need to throw away, do it. If God tells you to delete people's numbers and names, just do it. Whatever he tells you, just do it. Just God, what, what should I do? What do you need to require of me? And don't listen to other people's opinion. Listen to what he tells you. Listen to what he tells you. I remember God told me, Gabe, I need you to rearrange your room and throw away all of your, um, oh, what's the English word, meables, um, furniture and get new furniture. Now, I didn't know this, but in addiction psychology, certain things trigger behavior. I didn't know that then. Now I know that because I studied psychology. And God helped me to break addiction by changing the places will trigger thoughts. I didn't know that, but God knew that. And I just did what he told me. And I didn't get triggered because I threw away the king's chair and all these things. God knew how to get me free. And I want to tell each one of you, God knows how to get you free. If it's from your self-righteousness, he knows how. If it's from addiction, he knows how. If it's from self-hatred, he knows how. Ask him, Jesus, where do you want to walk with me? And allow him to do that. Is that okay? Okay, can we give them a big hand? This is awesome. So, when we used to lead leadership track here, we had a rule, right? That for four weeks, I ask you to be on time, right? And then week four, day one, if you're 10 seconds late, you can go, go to your room the rest of the day. <clears throat> and the reason why we do that is because people give up their lives to come and serve you. And if you're late, you dishonor their sacrifice. So it is 1130. Okay. And that five minutes matter. Okay, because it's not about time. Nobody cares about time. It's about respect, right? And so I would deeply encourage you to be the type of person that respects other people's time, right? Because it doesn't say anything about me. It says a lot about you, okay? And so um, I'm saying that as pastorally as I possibly can say what I said right now. Um, <clears throat> because if, if that was me, all of those people would have a great day outside of class today. And here's why. It's because one day you're going to be not here. And if you're late at your job, you get a written warning. If you're late at your job again, you get a second warning. If you're late for a third time, you don't ever have to come back again. And if we teach Christian young leaders that you can dictate your own personal time, we're creating in them a culture that's not sustainable anywhere else in the world. I'm actually doing you a disservice if I allow you to be late. Because I'm creating a habit in you to say I am the most important thing in the world. When we are the most important thing in this context. You understand what I'm trying to say? So I would encourage you for the next uh, four weeks in this school, create a culture where you value timeliness. Right? Something happens, right? Sometimes like you're just like bumped your toe. The toilet line is extra long. Nobody's a jerk. Right? But sometimes you just don't care. And you just take longer. I've done that. But just, I want to challenge you guys. Without your staff forcing you, why don't you decide to be on time? Right? Because that will be a better sign of your holiness than most other things. Okay. You all good? Well, happy? I feel that was pretty nice, right? That was, that was tender, right? I, I had to go through a few renditions in my head as I tried to communicate that. Okay, so let me hear, hear a few things for the next five minutes. What, what do you guys hear me say? I'm going to point you. Five. 
four, three, two, yes. Stand up. Hey, Nick. What's your name? Hey, Nick. Hi. Yes, what's on the throne of your heart? That's good. What else? Give me some more things. What's your name? Hey, Alyssa. <laughs> yes. Refuse to be easily satisfied. That's a big one. Your hunger determines your destiny. Stand up. Name? Hey, Leah. Who's the God you see when you close your eyes? It's important. Name? Hey, Kaden. Yes, it's not enough to say you believe in God. What kind of God do you believe in? Guys, that's a ginormous thing. Like, I can't tell you how big that is. There's a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. Just buy it, read it. Okay, just don't ask questions. Just do it. Okay. <clears throat> yes, please stand up. Name? Hey, Emma. Do you really love God? Let's go home. <laughs> okay, so I love this. Okay, you can be the last one. Right there, I saw that hand. Please, please stand up. I beg you and give me your name. You're individual and you're valuable. That's why I want to know it. Alexa? Lexi. Okay, Lexi, give it to me. Yes, have holy desperation. Okay, the reason I have you stand up and give me your name is because you're not just one of 312. Okay, you're an individual. God sees you. He values you. Your name matters. Okay? Have holy desperation. So, I think if I would have to give one word for my week, if I could name my own week, I would call it the beauty of holiness. Right? If there's a beauty, there's an aesthetic nature to living holy before God. And um, I'm going to kind of, is it a, usually I do this week and it's kind of like DTS-ish, which means like I kind of touch the surface, but I never really jump in the deep end. Okay, I just feel that. I just feel like we're just going to go 10 miles deep, okay? And if you don't understand what I'm saying, like we can just rehearse it tomorrow, okay? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm trying, I want to talk, try and talk with you as much as I can, Okay. But I, I, I feel like this dream I had last night, as I prayed about it, I felt God said, like, Gabe, just give it to them. Right? Don't. Usually I'm really like pastoral and I like give you like a whole story and to make, but I, I just feel like we only have three days. Okay, so in Titus 2.10, there's this phrase, it's a, a Greek word <clears throat> called kalos. Say kalos. Okay, kalos is a word that means winsome or pleasing. Right? And it's, it's a very interesting word. Um, Paul writes to Titus here and says, he speaks about, about slaves and how they should live to win their masters. Right? But that's a, that's a pretty crazy thought. If you think Paul is writing to slaves, don't be a jerk to the person who's enslaving you. Who think that will be really hard? Come on, think through that. You're getting beaten. Don't talk back while somebody's beating you. That takes submission to Jesus in a way that is crazy. Right now, doesn't mean God is for it. It just means he knows that what beats oppression is not always revolution. What beats oppression, right, 
is a right revolution. He knew that will, what will be the oppression of the age is people's hearts who are submitted to Jesus. It's not just burning down buildings. You hear me? Okay, so let me read this to you. It says, so, an, so he writes to the slave. Think about this. Just, I, I, can you see it? I want you to see this picture. You're a freaking slave. Okay, just, you're a freaking slave. You're not just a slave. You're, you're really a slave. And Paul is writing something inspired by the Spirit to you. You're branded. Something, somebody took a piece of metal, heated it up, and marked you to say you're owned by somebody else. That is demonic, right? Just think the level of oppression you feel, just thinking about that. And Paul here writes to Titus to speak to his congregants who are slaves. Now in the first century church, do you realize that there were slaves leading churches in which the masters were congregants? There was pastor slave with the person who owned them being one of their people. That is the foolishness of the church. It's like we just throw up every system like we break it. When the church is really the church, we offend everybody. We offend the government. We offend religion. We offend other religions. Like we just, we're like a walking offense. And the reason why is because our kingdom is upside down. We don't play their games. We have our own game. God doesn't pick sides. He's on his own side. Whenever you're in a conversation and somebody makes you think, and who and what party am I a part of? That is not Christian thinking. Because God doesn't pick a side, He's on His own side. Right? That's the political spirit. That's not Christianity. Being Republican doesn't make you Christian. Sorry, I'm South African. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> I'm sorry. I studied politics. It's really funny for me. <laughs> but it's so important we understand because God does not pick sides. He's on his side. Now, where do we see that Joshua walks up to the promised land, right? He's about to take Jericho. This is Joshua, the friend of God who stayed longer in the presence than Moses. Have you ever read that verse? Moses leaves the tent of meeting and then Joshua stays behind. Which means that Joshua, the son of Nun, stayed longer in the presence of God than Moses, the person that provoked a nation to worship. What do I mean with that? Whenever Moses went to worship, a pillar came down and the whole nation came to worship. Imagine your intimacy with God was so impactful that it caused the whole nation to worship when you come and worship Him. That's a pretty big compliment, right? Now, now that guy... His aide, the young dude that's like his assistant, spends more time in God's presence than that guy. Who would say that Joshua knew God? Yeah, you spend more time in the presence than Moses. You know God pretty well. So here comes Joshua, the guy that knows God really, really well. And he's about to go take Jericho. And he walks up and he sees this man with a sword drawn stand in his hand. And he walks up to this man and says, are you for us or against us? And this man, called the Christophany, say, it's, it's a manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament, says, neither, I'm the commander of the Lord's army, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. 
And all of a sudden, Joshua, who spent more time in the presence than Moses, could not recognize Jesus for who he was in that moment. That's what happens when we make God in our image. We relate to a God we used to know. We struggle to see the God that's inviting us into victory in the current season. So many of you, your biggest struggle will be to let go of the God that fed you in the last season to take you into the victory of the next season. But what happens in this moment? Joshua challenges God and says, pick a side. And God's response is, Josh, I love you, buddy. I'm on my own side. Take off your shoes. Worship. So many times in our lives we want God to pick our side. And God's like, I'm on my own side. If you're on my side, great. I don't pick sides. Do you know what the Greek New Testament word, one of the words for Satan is? It's kategeros. It's the one who creates categories. And he comes and he creates categories. Right? And he divides us into subcategories so we can fight against the one another instead of loving one another. I'm no, not, no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, but we're one in Christ. The church is one. Sexual boundaries and biases broken off. Social economic biases broken off. Cultural racial biases broken off. And Christ, we're all one. There's a new humanity that was made in Jesus. And they're meant to show the beauty of holiness. They're meant to be kalos. This word in, second, in Titus 2.10, this word that he says to him, he says, Hey, let all of your life be of good reproof so that it can be attractive. What? Why does Paul care if this slave is attractive? Well, it's actually pretty important. I don't want to read us this. I've never gone this way when teaching a DTS on holiness, just so you know this. <clears throat> I actually feel God has something for you guys. Titus 2 says, So that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. This is talking to slaves. The word attractive in Titus 2.10 is the Greek word kalos. In classical Greek, kalos refers to beauty. Just think about that. Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit. It's not just Paul, a man, writing this. This is the Holy Spirit picking the word kalos. Something about your life is meant to be attractive. It's meant to be beautiful. There's a beauty to holiness. There's something about holiness that draws people to you. That's why it says, I think it's in Mark 7, Jesus walks into the room and he could not hide his presence from them. There is a beauty to holiness. There's something about holiness. I love this in the poem, The Vision by Preet Craig. He says, it's holiness that hurts the eyes. It makes children laugh and makes adults angry. There's beauty to holiness. There's something about your life being fully given that makes other people's hearts burn within them. It shows them a vision of reality that's free from the entitlement and the shackles of shame, religion, and the idolatry of self. The classic, word, uh, the classic Greek kalos referred to beauty. It could be applied to any person who was lovely or anything that was beautiful. Wherever this word is found, there's an idea of loveliness, attractiveness, graciousness, that which gives delight to the heart, 
and gives pleasure to the eyes. Kalos means doing the right thing in the right way beautifully. Right? Ethics say do the right thing. Kalos says don't just do the right thing. Do the right thing in the right way. No, no, no. Don't just do the right thing in the right way. Do the right thing in the right way beautifully. There's something about the beauty of holiness that is not just that I get to the end of the road and I've done the right thing. It's my way of getting to the end of the road is done in a way that is beautiful and it reveals God. It's not just about the outcomes that God cares about. It's how we get there. It's not just I'm going to heaven. It's my way there is revealing the beauty of who God is. It's my life as a trophy. It's a sign of God's strength in my weakness. The beauty of holiness. There's a beauty that is revealed when Jesus takes residence on the inside through the work of the Spirit that produces something in me. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. So I don't live for myself, but unto Him. That makes something that attracts the world. Goes on and says, there is no English word which fully can translate Carlos. There is no word which better gathers up within itself the beauty, the winsomeness, the attractiveness, the generosity, the usefulness which are all included in this word. The New Testament holds, listen to this, that the best missionary weapon which a church possesses Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Holly. Right, so the New Testament hold that the best missionary weapon which a church possesses is the fully and truly Christian life. Your greatest treasure to the world is not miracles. It's being Christian. Your greatest miracle to the world is not evangelism. It's being Christian. There's something about the Christian life that is poison to the powers and the principalities, the dark forces of this present age. The thing that they cannot overcome is being Christian. The beauty of our holiness is an eternal rebuke to the forces of self-worship in this world. You raising children is a big stuff you to the spirit of abortion. It's not you having a big parade. Now, that's also important. Do you know what's a better parade? It's seeing you have children and they love God. It's seeing your family not being destroyed by divorce. You know what? They can make all the laws they want. In 10 generations, we'll beat them every time. But if we have an internal view of what it means to be Christian, my faith will outlive your policies. You can change whatever you want. I'm not going to die. And when I do, I'm going to live forever anyway. But my children's children's children, faith and the ethic and the beauty of their holiness will overthrow every dark system of this world. Rome does not stand anymore. Persia does not stand anymore. 
The Holy Roman Empire does not stand anymore. Slavery and the way it was does not stand anymore. We are still here. Do you know why? Because we're Christian. And the beauty of our holiness is our weapon. The beauty of our humanity and living fully submitted to Jesus is the thing that destroys the world. You learning how to work a nine to five as a Christian and be faithful destroys the darkness of this world. Why? Because I'm not lazy. Now what happens, let's say there's 100 million Christians in the U.S. What happens if those 100 million Christians in the U.S. have a better work ethic than anybody else? What happens if we are more trustworthy and pay our taxes better? What happens in 10 generations? What happens in 200 years from now? We're the most trusted people. There's something about our humanity submitted that is potent. And I feel like sometimes in our revival culture, we overlook the fact that being saved and being fully Christian is dangerous. We want to levitate and see people get slain, but we don't want to wake up on time. You might impress people by your power, but you're not going to overthrow darkness if you do not have a life that looks like a Christian. I believe there's something in this generation that's asking, how then shall we live? How shall we live? Can somebody show me what does it mean to be Christian? Can somebody show me how not to be entertained, but how to live? What does it mean to be Christian? And that is the message of holiness. The message of holiness is not, not watching porn. Okay, that is it as well. But that's like level one. Okay, please stop watching porn. It's evil. It will destroy you. Just go look at brain science. You don't need a Christian to tell you that. There should be in, in, the, Christ, in the life of the Christian not only goodness but also loveliness which will make all men see it and desire the secret which is his so important we understand this there's this guy uh, i'm gonna remember his name now he's a sociologist and um, he studied this book how did christianity win <clears throat> and he studied all the miracles of the first century he just he studied all the martyrdom all the martyrs he studied all these different things. And he said, none of these things beat Rome. What beat Rome is that we raised our families. Because as the Roman Empire aborted children and the pagan nation became smaller and smaller populations, the Christians outgrew them. As they ran away from cities with plagues because they didn't want to die, the Christians moved there because... No greater love is this than one lays down life down for another. So we just go and move into the places where there's plagues. Do you know what happened? We got all the properties in those places. Our simple Christian living destroys darkness. And I feel today as we're in this room and the rest of this week, I feel like God wants to infuse faith that you can go to work, wake up in the morning, live a life, that is fully Christian and it be more dangerous than you can imagine. That if you wake up in the morning and you love your wife, you're the most dangerous thing you can be.
If you wake up in the morning and you raise your kids in the ways of God, hell trembles. That is not just moving to Saudi. It's that as well. But there is not a hierarchy in Christian radical. The Christian ultimate is being rooted in God's goodness. The word radical, do you know what it means? It literally means to be rooted. Radical means to be rooted. It means I'm rooted in the presence and the love and the acceptance of God. And radical Christianity is you cannot force me to perform. I don't know if you heard me. I can, can this thing force you to perform? Heck yes. Have you seen the stupid things people do on TikTok? <laughs> it's like you'll never do that unless you get a click. I get a like, so I'll do something stupid. That's a big rebuke to our society right now. Think Ephesians 6. The big spiritual warfare verse, right? <clears throat> Just think through this with me. Paul writes and he says, hey, after all these schemes of the enemy, after all your standing, or after all your fighting, stand. He says what? Stand. Say stand. stand. Are you guys with me? Okay, okay. So he tells him, let me just go there. Go do Ephesians 6. I, I promise you I've quoted the Bible the whole morning. I just realized some of you here that might go like, Gabe hasn't opened the Bible. I promise you I've literally quoted like probably 30 verses. <clears throat> Ephesians 6. I can just feel it like, praise God, it's going to the Bible. <laughs> okay, go to verse 10. All of you there? Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now you see, it didn't say the onslaught of the great and mighty evil one with the forces of demonic armies. He says schemes. Some of you are way too impressed with Satan. Right? You're way too impressed. Get over it. Okay? Like the, the devil is not that impressive. Schemes. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, say therefore, therefore. put on the full armor of God, so that when the, the day of evil comes, you might be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. What? <laughs> That's so strange. Have you ever read that? Everything like this, this onslaught, this fight, like stand. And after you've done everything, stand. Isn't that interesting? Like that just doesn't make sense. It does. Okay. So it goes on. And I don't know if you know this, but the armor of God is not some magical thing you wisp on. Or you have like a, right? I'm from Africa, so I don't know. There might be a rain dance or something, get armor. Right? Like, it doesn't work like that. The armor of God is a prophetic picture. Every one of those pieces is an Old Testament prophecy of who Jesus is. Right? So it speaks of Jesus. It's not some mystical tool you put on every single morning when you wake up. It's Jesus. It is the finished work of Jesus. And so he knew the church of Ephesus sees soldiers every single day. 
So he went and he gave them this picture that every single moment that you see a soldier, you would think of Jesus. And he goes on and he explains and he says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you might stand your ground. After you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Your shield of? Shield of? Okay, so imagine this, right? I'm standing here, Hannah's there, right? And I, I have all these other cool toys, right? I have a blessed plate, I have a helmet, I have a belt, I have shoes, I have a sword. The sword is not coming yet, but I have a sword, okay? And Hannah has a flaming arrow of the enemy, okay? And I'm standing here and I go like, and, I, and I'm like ready to fight. But the word says stand in Jesus' finished work. And Hannah shoots a flaming arrow. What do you do when you see your arrow come? You move. You start producing your own strength to fight the enemy. But the command is to stand. You can't stand if arrows come towards you. You have to move or you die. Except if you have shield of faith. Now what is a shield of faith? The shield of faith I pick up when I get shot. I go like, I'm not going to move anywhere. Do you know why, Hannah? Because you can shoot those arrows of accusation as much as you want. My faith is, is my righteousness, not my own. I did not save myself. I will not move and start producing to get you. I will stand right here in the finished work of Jesus and overcome. You cannot make me perform. The only one that moves me is Jesus. You cannot move me. This shield of faith makes me stand in what was done on Calvary. And it's not by Gabriel's works. I will not move to please you. You know how dangerous that makes Christianity. That TikTok. I don't care how many likes I will get if I do A, B, C, D. You don't move me. His voice moves me. I don't care what my friends think I should wear to get accepted. You don't move me. He moves me. I don't care what your version of Christianity tells me is radical. You don't move me. He moves me. I don't care what you want me to do to have you love me. I don't need you to love me. He loves me. I won't move you. I won't move for you. He moves me. I think it's so important that in our pursuit of holiness, the beauty of holiness, we need to understand is a radical resistance to the way of the world. That there is a holy arrogance that comes upon you go like nothing can move me you cannot make me move you can put a gun to my head you can cut me in little pieces you can burn me at the stake i will be like the people like my people what is our people like they're like joan of arc that's 16 years old and said keep the cross high enough so i can see it through the flames i will not deny that he spoke to me you cannot make me move That is our people. Our people are the ones that go like, you can't make me do something no matter how you yell, no matter how you threaten. I have met the King of glory. And He has taken residence on the inside and the beauty of His holiness will shine through my life. 
And in this generation, you might wipe me out. But then the next time, the next one, we will conquer your kingdom. We will take the wealth of the wicked and give it to the nations. We will become those who through service will disperse the goodness of God in every area. Think about William Wilberforce. Wealthy businessman. Billionaire. Wants to become a priest. John Wesley writes his last letter to him before he dies. Revivalist. He says, if this is God, go. But if it's not, you will be killed by every vice of hell for the thing that you're going to try to change. There comes this wealthy businessman, Christian, radical Christian. His best friend is the youngest prime minister of England in history. 25 years old, we became prime minister. The two of them, these friends, make a covenant. We'll end slavery. Takes him 21 years. Every day they give themselves. Um, people throw them with rotten fruits. They try to kill them. You say, you cannot move me. I am moved by this king. That is holiness, guys. That has nothing to do with... Hear my heart when I say this. You do not change the world by wanting to change the world. You change the world by being a normal human being that submits to God's leadership. I'm sorry, okay? I've been here for years, and then we moved and pioneered a base. Do you know who, has, who is our most effective staff? The ones who get up every morning on time, go to prayer set on time, and do their job. The show up and blow up guys are wonderful. And they're also usually not reliable. Because they get their energy from people's approval. My question is, what makes you move? What makes you move? What gets you to move? Is there something in you that goes like, I move when he moves? Or is your heart set to be moved with everything that will approve you? It's important that we can answer these questions. It's important that we know what gets my heart to kicking gear. In the Christian life, this beauty of holiness and the ability to stand in the finished work of Jesus comes only as I started to having a right view of what God is like. One of the weirdest things <clears throat> that I see so many young people struggle with is this self-condemnation that I have to hit a mark. Okay, so let's go to Romans, uh, to, to Romans 7. I'm going to try to do this in 25 minutes. <clears throat> I'm not going to answer the question that some of you are thinking I'm going to answer. So, Romans 7, Paul writes here, and he talks about the law. Is everybody okay? You sure? Everybody with me? Okay. Is there any questions before I go on? Going once, going twice, and sold. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. Stand up. What's your name? Hi, Arissa. Mm hmm Mm-hmm. 
That's a great question. Wow. Yes. That's a wonderful question. Did everybody hear our question? Okay, come here. Come say that question again. I'm going to give you the mic. Come take the mic. <laughs> Ask this question again because you're, going, you're setting me up for success. Um, so basically my question was like, you see fruit in your life and you see like God moving in your life, but you're not really sure whether or not that's because you're in relationship with God or just like, like how do you fully know you're, you are in relationship with God and you truly love God and like you see that fruit, but you're not really sure, I guess. That's a wonderful question, man. Isn't that amazing? Okay. So <clears throat> let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Father, I ask just for wisdom to land this right. Amen. Okay. So in the Bible, there are three types of laws. Okay. There's the Torah, which is the Old Testament law. Okay. You all with me? Okay. And then there is the law of the spirit, which you have when you're born again, which is when the spirit takes residence on the inside. And he regulates your life. Does it make sense? You know what I'm talking about? Romans 8. We'll get there. Okay. But then there's a second one. And Romans 7 calls it the law of sin and death. And that's what you're talking about. That's actually where I was going. So thank you. Now, <clears throat> you need to understand that the Old Testament law it was not bad. Say yes. Okay. Why was it not bad? There's real practical reasons it's not bad. Give it to me, buddy. I can think you have one. Yes. 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 It was given to us by God. Okay. But outside of God giving it to us, give me a practical reason why the Torah was not bad. Oh, that's a pretty big deal. Okay, the fact that it says do not kill people is a big deal. You know that didn't exist before the Ten Commandments. Okay, why can I not take your property? If I walk into your land somewhere in Texas and I go like, this is mine now. Why do you have the right to take your M4 and protect your land? Can somebody tell me why? Give me a, a reason. Uh, sorry? Well, why does the law have any say? I don't care about your law. I'm South African. I can do what I want. Why does your law have power? Sorry? Somebody give up. Come on. It's enforced. Okay. Somebody get, yeah. It has authority. Why does the law have authority? Wow, guys. Go one deeper. Go one deeper. You're all going broad. Go deep. Go one deeper. Go to the why. Yes. Okay. Great thing. No. Okay. Here, here, here's why. Here's why I cannot take your private property. Your private property is yours because the Ten Commandments tell me I'm not allowed to steal. God calls your private property holy. Thus, you can take your M4 and protect it. Because God calls it holy, not your law. 
think through that. That's why abortion is a big deal. Because it doesn't matter what your government says. God calls that fetus holy. I don't care how you feel about it. I don't care what your law says. It's against the law of morality. It's against God's law. And every nation that builds its law on top of God's law flourishes. Every nation who does not build their constitution on God's law will go bad. That's why you can have secular nations who thrive because their economy and their law are built on God's laws. Doesn't mean that they're Christian. It just means that their morality is Christian. And you will always reap the reward. You can call yourself a Christian communist. And an atheist, secularist, whose constitution is built on the Bible, will flourish more than a Christian communist. Because it's in line with truth. Up is up, down is down. If you kill people or take their private property, your society will implode. I don't care how you wrap it. You can, you can frame it however you want. If I jump off this thing and fall on my head, I'm going to get hurt. Why? Because God made a rule. Gravity counts. The same way that societies implode when there's no private property. I didn't make the rule. God made the rule. So you can redistribute it however you want. It's not going to work well. Because people will distrust the system and they will withhold and they will not be generous in how they do life. Now, why am I talking about all of this? I'm talking about this because you need to understand that when God made the Torah, the law, it says here in Romans 7, what shall we say then? Verse 7, is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what a sin, what sin was had I not been for the law. And it goes on and says, Mm, verse 10 I found uh, once I was uh, once I was alive apart from the law but when the commandment came sin sprang to life and I died I found the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death verse 11 for sin seizing the opportunity by the command deceived me although uh, um, and through the commandment put me to death now what the heck am I saying what the heck does this mean that's a great question it means this. He talks about the law. You can hear that, right? But then there's another entity, a part of this. What's it called? What's the other entity he names? Sin. So there's the law and then there's sin. And he says the law is holy, righteous, and good, given by the Holy Spirit. He said, but sin came and sin is not just something you do. Sin is an entity that comes and God will judge it with death at the end of the age. But sin came and it took the law and it perverted it. And it took the law to actually destroy you. Everybody with me? Okay, I'm, I promise you I'm going to make it make sense in, in a second. Okay? It goes on then at the end and it says... Verse 21, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, the Torah, but I see another law, say another law, working in me, waging war against the war of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin, 
working in me. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from, from this body that is subjected to death. Thanks be to God who delivered me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but my sinful nature is a slave to the law of sin. Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit gives life, who has now set you free from the law of sin and death. Now what the heck does that mean? That's a lot of Bible. And a lot of law, sin, death, blah, 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 blah. Okay, here's what it means. It means that God gave the Torah, it's good. Hallelujah. You're with me? Okay, but then something entered the picture. What entered the picture? Sin. So then sin came, and, and here we see there's something called the law that is good, and sin, sin entered in, and sin took the law and it perverted it. And now a third entity was created called the, the law of of sin and death. Now who's ever went to bed at night and asked this question? Did I have a good day? Who's ever asked that question? And who's ever, when you ask that question, started running through your day and start listing how good or bad you've done? Who's ever done that? Right? And who's then ever thought you kind of had a good day, but then you re re revisited your day and you're asking this question in yourself, have I done good enough? And at the end of that conversation, you feel way more depressed because you feel like a failure. Who's ever done that? You know, like that is 100% a lie from the devil. And that is the, sin of, the, the law of sin and death. Do you know what that means? What you've just done? You've just made yourself the judge of your own life. And you took the law and sin and you judged if you have done enough to please God. Your question. Have I done enough? How do I know? This wretched man that I am, how can I see good things and not know? What is to do of me? What does he say then? Praise God. Hallelujah. What? For there's no more condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. That if you make Jesus Lord of your life, the question of am I enough does not exist. I don't ask myself the question, am I a good Christian? Do you know what the normal Christian thought is? It's not am I enough, it's thank you. I lay in bed and I think about my day and I say thank you. The blood. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I get to talk to you. Thank you. The normal Christian life is a thankful response it is not a working up of good works. So the question, if I'm saved, and how do I know, can only be told to you through the Spirit. Romans 8 says, the Spirit in you cries out, Abba. Papa. Father. He cries out, you know if you know. Right? And nothing can tell you if you know, unless the Spirit in you cries out, Father. There is no external thing that can tell you you're saved. No external fruit. There's an internal witness of the Spirit that says, I'm a son or a daughter. And nothing can make you move. When I lay in bed and I think about my day, I do not have the right, as Paul says, to judge myself. God judges me. You want God to judge you. 
Because God judges you through the blood of Jesus. And in that, He sees your weakness. He sees your brokenness. And the question I have at the end of my day is not, did I do enough? It's thank you. Thank you. I think some of you need to hear that, right? Because that's why I started what I started with when I said, whoever feels anxiety when you think about your quiet time. Do you know why? Because you feel you need to go perform. I do not know if I can perform well enough. Do you know how my quiet time looks? I wake up, say, thank you, Jesus. And when I feel anxious, I feel like, Lord, I just thank you. I cannot do anything to enter in. You did everything on my behalf. Thank you. And I say thank you until I believe it. Lord, I thank you. And I start recanting the things. You saved me from this. You saved me from this. Yesterday, I responded badly. I said, sorry, you forgave me. Thank you, Jesus. And I remind myself consistently of what Jesus has done. Do you know why I do that? Because I am not trying to produce something that he is producing in me. Do you know what that means? Here's what it means. Thank you. <laughs> it means this. Working out my salvation with fear and trembling is never going somewhere to get something. It is going with someone to where he is leading you. Do you know what, what we do a lot of times in our walk with God? We go like, hey, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And you hear what he says, I want you to move to Tajikistan. You're like, great, Lord, here I go. And you start walking. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm right here. Right? And I was like, yeah, thank you for my orders. I'll check in with you if I need another one. When he's like, no, 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 that's not the idea. The idea of the Christian life is there's a constant fellowship and intimacy with the Spirit. And my thankfulness of what Jesus has given me access to is the very fact that I can never, ever, 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 ever be separated from God again. When I go to bed, I had the worst day of my entire life. I had 14 meetings in which I had a bad attitude. I lashed out on somebody in our team. My first thought is not, God, forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. I was weak today. Help me. What did you think about my day? I, I don't want to judge me because I'm going to say ugly things. What do you say about my day? And he goes like, Gabe, do you know what? You're tired. I love you. Take a nap. We'll talk when you wake up. No, but you need to punish me. I had a bad day. Yeah, I love you, buddy. Calm down. Don't worry. I was there. I protected Kimberly's heart. She's going to be okay. Whew, okay. Take a nap, wake up, Lord, thank you for your mercy. What do you want to say? Well, Gabe, today started bad because you had prayer said, and that person asked you a question that re-triggered your identity. And then the rest of the day, you try to prove that you are not that accusation. I love you, son. That is where your day went wrong. Be a son, you got this. Sorry, Dad. I repent. Please forgive me for trying to prove something and to move. Help me not to move. You know, like that is normal Christianity. That, that just thing I just made up, that's like my everyday. I don't need to prove anything. 
Jesus proved everything. I just live in constant relationship. I, I was <clears throat> in a meeting um, a few years ago when I just moved here with Andy, with kind of like all my euros were in that meeting. I'm like one day in South Africa, it's like everybody I ever looked up on is going to be at that meeting. I could go with him for one day. It's in Santon City. And I was pretty intimidated because I was kind of like the only nobody in the room. And um, I've just realized mustering up confidence never works. Okay, it never works going like, okay, I'm going to try to be confident. Like, it's just, just how do you, you like sound arrogant if you do it. Like it's so, young people do it a lot. They're overconfident because they're, they're actually very insecure. Okay. And so I've just learned kind of how to handle it. So here's, here's literally, I'm going to invite you into my conversation. Sorry, I did like the ski workout yesterday. My lower back is killing me. <laughs> is your lower back hurting? <laughs> oh my goodness. So um, <clears throat> I'm sitting in, in Starbucks in Sandton City. I'm about to walk into this meeting with all these like famous Christian dudes. And I'm sitting, I'm like, Lord, this is so scary. Oh my goodness. I don't know how to handle myself. And I just feel him nudge me. He said, so what about you just ask me? I was like, okay, okay, okay. Close my eyes. I see his picture. I see his picture of me and Jesus sitting in the meeting. And he's eating like popcorn. Looking at their conversation. He's like making fun of the things they're saying. It's like, aren't all their plans funny to you? They're so smart. But it's kind of interesting to watch them. It's strange, isn't it? And I'm laughing as I'm seeing this picture. And I can feel my need to perform just melt off me. And he's like, Let, just enjoy this with me. We can talk about the things they're saying. And I had an amazing time. That's the access that the Spirit gives us. And that is the beauty of holiness. Is that impressive people that I want to impress can't move me. God moves me. I'm not trying, right? So tonight I'm leading ministry night, right? And we're going to have a blast, right? Now, now a lot of people go like, oh, Gabe, are you, are you kind of like nervous? I'm like, no, I'm not nervous. I'm going to hang out with my best friend, the Holy Ghost. And we're going to take other of his best friends. And we're going to go in the direction he's going. And we're going to have the time of our lives. Right, and I don't need to perform to you, you don't need to perform to me. And we're all looking at the same person. And you know what? He's looking back and he's smiling. He goes like, I love you. I love being with you. And he's excited. And you know, like he's waiting for us just to turn to him. Just guys, just he waits, guys. Like my little girl, right? Most mornings when I wake up before her, I wait for her to wake up. I'm like that weird dad. She's like staring at her. Please wake up. Please wake up. Please wake up. Please wake up. I just want to see you. you're so beautiful. And then she wakes up and she laughs. Do you know why she laughs? Because she saw my smile first. Did you catch that? The joy she has comes from my joy. <laughs> the joy she has in her life comes from I find joy in her. I look at little Anastasia and I'm happy. And she radiates back what she sees. You know that all of the Christian life is radiating back what you see. And the face that looks at you is smiling. And he loves you.
And he waits every single morning. I can't wait for you to wake up. He's like, I'm so excited she's going to wake up. And I know she doesn't understand Romans 1, but I'm just going to sit there and have her read it. I'm going to see her take out the blue letter Bible. And she's going to try so hard. And it's amazing because she wants to love me. I love that. And every now and then he nudges you. go like, that's the wrong version. Try that one. Or like, he just does things. And, 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 and that is normal Christianity. Guys, what I'm talking about now is not radical. It's Christianity 101. That is what it means to be saved. Now tell me quickly, just in what you're thinking now, who wants to go watch porn? Who wants to go sleep around? Who wants to go smoke a joint? That freaking doesn't make sense. It's stupid. Because those things don't smile at you. They only take from you. You know what he does? He only adds to you. And the things that he takes from you are the things that want to kill you. And the beauty of holiness is radiating back the smile that smiles at you to the world. That is what it means to be Christian. That's why we're dangerous. We're not dangerous because we stand on chairs. We're dangerous because we behold one that is beholding us. That is what makes us a force to be reckoned with. Because when I close my eyes, the face I see loves me. The face I see never says, Gabe, try harder. The face I look at when I close my eyes say, Gabe, I want you to see clearer. Look at how I feel about you. This is what you do to me. Let me pray for us as we end off today. Can you stand up where you are? <clears throat> Can you just put your hand on your heart? This was like the introduction to kind of lay the foundation of what I mean when I talk about holiness and us pursuing Jesus. He said, when you realize that the one who looks at you loves you, it changes you. You don't need to produce you respond to the one who produces things in you. So, Father, as my friends and I are here together, I ask, Lord, would you just show them, <clears throat> in Jesus' name, how you feel about them. Can you reveal to them throughout this week before Thanksgiving how you smile at them? I want you to look, just look at his face. Look at the one who calls you the apple of his eye, who calls you beloved. Father, I ask that every false identity will break it off. God, at every false yoke, you'll break it off. God, at every time they try to produce, every time they try to prove, you'll say, shh, I love you. Don't worry. You got this. Father, I ask that hearts that have been hardened by the harshness of religion will be softened by the gaze of your love. That this week, sons and daughters will feel the tender heart of the Father and they'll be won by kindness. That they'll be conquered by goodness. That the battering ram of your meekness will destroy everything that religion tried to produce in them. I ask, Father, may you make in us 
may you reveal in us the beauty of holiness. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. For more on holiness in Jesus, stay right here on the Fire and Fragrance podcast.